Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. Please play this song on the radio. Please play this song on the radio. Guys, gals, non-binary pals, this is now 23, side B. I'm Chris Podcasts. With me, as always, Nico Vasilo. Nico, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm here to talk about some music. So on paper, I think this this half of of now looks pretty bad. Just honestly, from seeing the names and from seeing songs that I had, had no recollection of. Um, but it turns out that it's it's not that bad. It still might be like the most C plus six out of ten chunk of a now we've done so far. Wow, like there's six no out of high 10. highs and there's no low lows. Six out of ten is still pretty generous. You know, it's 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 the most fine chunk of a now that we've done. It is, um, in conclusion, now and again is a land of contrasts. It's a duality that you have to accept. It's intentionally really good songs followed by intentionally really bad songs. Yeah, I don't I don't think there was a song on this back end that I like outright hated, and there were a couple of surprises in that home stretch. And I mean, then the end, I feel like, completely shits the bed. But for a while, I was not... Yeah, because sometimes I wonder, like, what they're huffing. Like, are they huffing Pine Sol when they're putting these together? Like, there's not even, like, a narrative flow to the, the music. And, like, even if you're somebody who's like, look, it's just a fucking compilation album, it should still flow in a way that makes, like, organic sense. And this this one had some pretty good flow. And then at the very end, all of a sudden, it's just sort of like, these are some phones. Yeah, we've talked about that before, how things are ordered and how the mixtape should have a flow. Start strong, build up, cool down so you don't blow your load, and then back up again, with and then a closer. Everyone knows what a closer sounds like. Um, and they've never done a closer on now. They just kind of stick all of the guitar songs pretty much near the end of every now. They, Plus a country. They organize stuff by genre and race, honestly. <laughs> genre, race, and like a little bit age slide. Yeah, the back is for the parents. Yeah, the back, the back, <laughs> the back is for the white parents. The middle is for the black parents. <laughs> so I guess let's um. There is something I want to talk about uh, a a current event I want to talk about at the end of the episode. So I'm just gonna it fits better at the end. So I'm just gonna put a nice big star in my notes. Um, mind myself to come back to that. But let's jump right in. With me opening up the track list. I know this is a Rihanna song, but it's one I never heard before. Uh, Unfaithful by Rihanna. Unfaithful is actually the origin of me referring to Rihanna as an asshole. Go, but this, all right, so in how she sings or in the lyrics? Because I think both are really janky. I think this is one of, like, and I, it's one of those things where I think she might have been, like, 19 when she recorded this song, and there is no part of me Possible. that believes Rihanna was, like, musically in charge of her sound at this point in her career. So please, when I say this, I am not saying this about a young pop chanteuse. I'm saying this about the producer that owns her life. 
she was told to sing this like the dumbest piece of shit coked out <laughs> drag queen on the planet. This is some fucking end of the night back of the bathhouse shit. Bitch has a mouthful of cum and she's trying to get through this verse. And like, I just really fucking hate this performance and I hate this song. And like, I genuinely hate the song. I really hate the song. I don't even just think it's that it's dramatic because it is dramatic. This is like well, melodramatic. This is like the fucking MacArthur Park of getting it in. And I think it is like I actually really, 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 really hate this song. Like and like kind of famously, I used to make fun of this song. It always struck me as the kind of song that they should have known better. Like that's yeah. the phrase that comes to mind. You should have known better. You should have known that there was nobody for whom this song would track within the dedicated age. I mean, like, within the dedicated age group. Because don't get me wrong. Yeah, it wound up on a now. And where's my track on a now? And I know that's like, when I listen back occasionally, because I don't listen back anymore. I'm on too many goddamn podcasts on this fucking network anymore to ever listen back to any of them, ever. Yeah. When I occasionally do listen back, I hear myself say things like, and look, I haven't had a top ten comic. I haven't had a number one movie. Like, okay, we get it. I'm not famous. But, like, I swear to God, this song is just, it's annoying. It's poorly written. It does not hit with any age demographic because no. the, the, like, queer Barbara Streisand core that would love this I don't think would want to listen to Rihanna and I think the I'm trying to think about the right way to put it um, like the Fagalopolis that would descend upon this song was probably like, like I, I don't know I don't know I don't think there's even a strong enough narrative point of view she's cheating right she's been unfaithful yes. And, like, he's not into the cuckolding. That's the point of this song. <laughs> like, I'm just... It's bad. It's bad, well, and like I said, it's bad. He's not into it, but he's still definitely taking the cucking, because, I mean, the lyrics here are... Uh, he straight up says, I see him die a little more inside every time I walk out the door. But additionally, these lyrics, other than the melodrama, this is, like... Parts of the song are, like, what a song... That if you made a parody band, like a parody emo band in 2007, like, and you called them like slitting my wrists with the shards of my broken heart, this yeah. is the song that like, our love his trust, I might as well take a gun and put it to his head. This is Ohio rest for lovers. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be a murderer. Like, but I'm killing him with this pussy. This is, um, <laughs> this is not Yes. I... I gotta say, I was super disappointed because I don't know if this is on the album. I don't know if this is just a music video thing because there's like 40 seconds of intro to set up the the deep narrative that Unfaithful requires. But the music in the opening, it's like some John Carpenter soundtrack-ass music. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to be into this song. This sounds dope. This sounds super different. And then it just cuts into the piano ballad. I'm going to splice in a chunk of that opening and just tell me you wouldn't rather have a song that sounded like that from Rihanna. Cause that would be at least kind of no, cool no. and subversive no, no, and no. different for this now. time. But uh, no, it's just a worse, somehow a worse version of the song that she would do in like 10 years with Eminem.
I desperately need far more now is I need you to do a supercut of Mike Myers looking sad as Laurie Strode goes off with other people over and over again. Too unfaithful. Oh man, Laurie Strode walking off with Freddy Krueger and Michael Michael Myers just standing in the tree across the street watching. And like a single teardrop comes down his Shatner alien face. He finds a brochure for Camp Crystal Lake in a drawer. <laughs> Lonely, single, not great at swimming. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's the Rihanna song. Uh, Hi, next... my name is Michael Myers. I'm a sagamurderess, and I enjoy long walks holding your head under the ocean. Mike, I just Jason. I just I just get a better vibe from him. He he just loves his mother so much. It's because he it's because he plays hockey. It's because, it's because he's a jock and fucking Michael Myers is a yeah. nerd and he's got mental health problems. Yeah, Jace uh Freddie's the class clown, Jason is a jock and Michael Myers is definitely a goth kid. Okay, but can I make a really terrifying and disturbing and uncomfortable parallel? So one of the things about Freddy Krueger is he is a pedophile, right? He's definitely a child murderer. They dance around that up until the the remake. The remake is outright the out- remake outright says it, but the original run was just like he murdered children, and, and, and then we'll leave it at that. So maybe, probably, yeah. Okay, he's so then he- here's my thing. I'm just shocked that he's never been like Jason. Talk to me about this camp. <laughs> 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 like, like, like it's almost like. <laughs> Okay, please don't include this. But I feel like Freddy going to Jason's camp is like a kid who doesn't... Like a kid with an under-eating disorder going to a get-fat camp. It's just like... J- Jason, you, you you work at a summer camp? Like, with, with kids? I I thought Chucky had an in with the kids, but damn. You gotta, you gotta hook me up with a job there, bro. Meanwhile, both Chucky kids are coming in. We're from different franchises, but get us kids! Like, I mean... It's beautiful. Oh, man. We oh, are, my God. We are, we are hitting the ground running on this back end. Oh, Jesus. League of Extraordinary Murder Clowns is my new favorite genre. Fuck. Um, we need to leave this song as quickly as possible. Speaking of children, JoJo, Too Little Too Late. Murder clowns. Um, so here's the thing about J is for JoJo. Here's the thing. Um, number one, we've agreed never to talk about JoJo again. Right. We're we're, we're already on the list because you know she's just a little. Yes. She's a little too young. Oh no! This is all too yep. much of the same conversation. So, oh god, we are. We we we're fucked James up. Gunn, so, um, I think. This song is actually just like a weaker version of Get Out. And I think what's interesting about it is it's number one, it sounds like the treble is turned way too high. Number two, it's it's like it's almost like she's like trying to be like, I'm more mature and I'm older, so now I'm less cute. But you should buy this. Like, it's very, hey, I'm going to talk you through it. It's no big deal. I'm JoJo. We've been here before. Yeah, when we saw her previously on Now and Again, she was 13 with the song, uh, was it, Get yeah, Get Out. This is Too Little Too Late. She's now 
uh, a, a mature and aged 16. And she is, uh, there's, there's some quality flip phone in this music video. I gotta say, it's very of the time. I feel It is much flip. I feel like I've said this exact thing about a lot of songs on Now and Again, and I guess it's just kind of the time period. The whole, like, acoustic riff, drum machine, pop song, we've heard it a thousand times, and I couldn't tell a single one apart. Honestly, they all sound exactly the same. Uh, okay, so here here's something that I've been thinking about. We took an incredible extended break from the Nows, and... It's it's one of those fascinating situations because I've always wondered how people manage to say what they're trying to say in a short period of time. I promise this is going to acoustic guitar riff, <laughs> drum machine, R and B. Oh no, he's getting self aware. And something that <laughs> oh no, it's learning. It's turning into gray goo. So one of the things about. The, so I'm doing a big thing on X's for Podcast right now. It's a major event, and I've even got Joey involved, which is always a good sign. And I've called together extra people. They completely canceled the X-Men comic book franchise, top to bottom, wow. every single book. Nothing's coming out except except one book a week. One book a week. And it's called House of X and Powers of Ten, and they're both stylized as, you know, noun of X. And... They are John Hickman, who is the guy that just did Secret Wars, which completely restarted the Marvel Universe. He's like the biggest name in comics right now. And he is taking over the X-Men completely. When I say completely, after these two miniseries wrap up, which are six issues each, he's going to be like executive producing the entire line with writers writing under him. And I will say this much. Three issues in, he has done more to move canon forward than the last 10 years have. Like, really, it's it's shocking what he's done, and it's in a really accessible way, so if you're brand new or if you're ancient, it's going to really fuck you up, and he no longer likes that the books have a set page ending, because you should never know you're on the penultimate chapter of a book. You should never know you're on the second-to-last page of a story. So there is no more set page counts, and they're just going to take care of the difference on Marvel's end. So everything's going to stay the same price, but the number of pages is going to change each month. You shouldn't always know when you're on the second to last page. And there's tons of, like, prose data and production pages. Anyway, he knew that telling the story he wanted to tell was too big, but that you don't really need to read the second book if you don't want to, but, I mean, you really do, but you don't need to, but you do. So they're two different books, House of X and Powers of Ten. And I really like it. When people recognize that what they're trying to do is so big and so massive, and this really is so big and so massive, like, it's unbelievable. Joey keeps messaging me how great he thinks. It's awesome. I'm so loving that I get to share stuff with him, too. He's such a great guy. So um, the the idea is, you know, if you you really should be reading House of X and Powers of Ten, but you could get away with just reading House of X. You can't just read Powers of Ten. But anyway, I sometimes get so excited about what we're doing on Now and Again that I wish we could do like a now and again sister series because I really feel like for our house of now, I really need a powers of mixtape because I feel like when you say stuff like all acoustic riff, drum machine, R and B white guy, singer, songwriter, you know, kind of like that, that sound bleed together. But like I can pick out the 20 best and like, I can say, these are why 
there is an entire genre built around this. The origins of acoustic riff drum machine go back to 1993 in Japan when William Orbit and Beth Orton first composed Super Pinky Mandy, which is just the trip album of all the trip hop album of like all time. It's like up there with like Portish Head. And it so reverberated through the world that Bjork made a response and Madonna made a response album. And the the synthesis of the softness of acoustic music and the overwhelming power of a drum machine came to really kind of birth an entire genre of singer-songwriter. And Ed Sheeran is still working that angle to this day. And you still see elements of that production by guys like Pharrell, who, you know, knew how to use it better than anybody because he created it. But it was such an idea that you could blend the coffee shop acoustic singer-songwriter vibe with kind of like a beatbox sensation and get something more than just a white iteration of black music or a black iteration of a white idea. And I feel like, if I could... Every one of these episodes would get like a 30-minute bonus on the off week where I would be like, hey guys, Chris said that this thing about this thing and I said this thing about that thing, so we're going to play some music for each other. Because when I think about songs that successfully navigated what we're talking about, that genre, that sort of acoustic, kind of dance, kind of drum machine I think Madonna's Don't Tell Me, I think, which is you know just such a great example, I think fill me in by craig david i think of these songs that you know really helped introduce r&b to a white audience and maybe even helped advance both genres a little bit pop and a little bit r&b granted you know the homogenization these days is maybe too much but i think there is something to be said for that that pocket of transformation as we saw it occur in that part of the off. So what you're saying is you want to do a show on the off weeks that is kind of like those responses to the State of the Union address where like it cuts it cuts to like some deer in the headlights house dipshit who's in like a diner in Branson, Missouri to tell you why the person who just spoke was wrong. But I want to tell you why I think you've missed stuff, not why you're wrong why you've missed stuff and I want you to show me stuff I've missed I want to like I want to be like hey hey the two of us sometimes get so in our own heads we forget that other people create art too here's some art you missed handsome but I don't want to tell you you're (laughs) wrong but yes it's exactly that I want to run around and be like obvious red state what do you think about that fucking blue faggot over there that Pete put it in your butt what do you think about Pete put it in your butt faggot veteran guy what do you think about him yeah red state what What do you think you seem old and Uh, racist so uh so this song seems to me to be a case of uh an artist who (laughs) oh my god we were talking about a song an artist who definitely was not getting her own songs they were just getting like songs that were written by a songwriter and her team is just like, this is yours now. No one else wanted it. And so as she's in the recording studio and she's singing a line like, I was young and in love. And she's 16 years old. Like, no one, there's no time to change this. There's no money to change this. We're just like, hey, do you, do you want to, like, change this lyric? It, it seems like it wouldn't really fit. Nah, just 
hit record, sing it how it is. And it's, 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 uh... But, like, okay, that's brilliant. I actually have never thought of it that way. I really, you've said something that, like, I just want to, like, hug something you said. You said brilliantly that they're, like, there's no time to change this. There's always time to change it, right? One of the most important lessons I've ever learned in my life is you don't fix a mistake with another Mm -hmm. mistake, right? And this is, like, something I learned in banking, especially if you cashed a $500 – if you cast a $505 check for $500, do not just run the check again for another $5. Undo the transaction and do it again. Because otherwise, your computer thinks you have two checks, and if someday you're off and they need to go through your work, they're never going to find the other check, right? So, like, don't fix a mistake with more mistakes. Don't make another intentional mistake to make something better. So they wrote this song, and they probably wrote it for Christina Aguilera, right? And Christina Aguilera is like no, I'm going to go with other songs. And they put this song on a shelf somewhere and they put it away. And they pull it out and they try giving it to Christina Milian and she's like, no. And they try to give it to Rihanna (laughs) and Rihanna's like, I got to go be an asshole and sing Unfaithful. And so then finally Jojo is like not fast enough to outrun this song (laughs) and she gets hit with it in the legs and it takes her out. And they're like, you know, so here are the lyrics. And she's like, but I wasn't young and in love. I'm young now. And so she's like, so they're like, okay, well, do you have any ideas to update it? And she's like, sure. Okay. All right. So she gets in the studio and they're like, all right, just, uh, just sing along to the verse whenever we'll cut around, you know, the pieces. So just let it flow. She gets in there and she's like, I want a ham and cheese. Could you please bring me another Coke and fries? (laughs) And they're like, no. What was that? And she's like, well, I wasn't young and in love, but I'm really hungry. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, but you can't make that the song. Oh, okay. Can I try it again? Sure, sure. One time I got fucked in a pickup truck. No, Jojo, you can't sing that. But it was by my manager, Jojo. Jesus Christ. You can't sing that. Can I just go with the original lyric? Fine, please go with the original lyric, for the love of God. But I'm still waiting on that sandwich. Like, I'm imagining this being the extended scenario. By wh- I hope I hope I get hired to SNL for that. I hope that they're like, yes, what we need right now is sketches about aughts pop stars. I imagine whoever has the list that we're on is highlighting our names currently. I, I, I think that there's a drone outside my house. <laughs> Oh man, they, the drones are bombing uh, hospitals, weddings, and podcasters. Honestly, it'll make the world. That's the one that'll make the world a better place. I love that you didn't see she got fucked by her manager outside a pickup truck coming. Oh, no one really did. Uh, <laughs> Nick Lachey, I can't hate you. I can't hate you anymore. say that this is the best 
Nick Lachey adjacent song that we have done on this show. So I'm including the entire Lachey extended universe of 98 degrees. Of 98 degrees, anything he did with his wife, all of that. This is probably the best one, and it's still like it's at least a little different, but it's still kind of like what I just said—that kind of acousticy ballad thing. But uh, you know, it's like a well-crafted, basic pop 101 song. It it does the job, and I will absolutely forget it as soon as this podcast is over. But it did the job for those three and a half minutes. I think you'll never forget it in about ten seconds. Oh so fuck! I want to interact for one second about this song. Number one, anybody who knows me knows that I grew up worshiping at the altar of everything spelling. That is to say, anything Aaron Spelling, 90210, Melrose Place, like, my family would not call Mondays between 8 and 9 because I was watching Melrose Place. It was like a thing. Like, growing up, Melrose Place was my Buffy before there was a Buffy, and Buffy was my proto-obsession. So, I thought you were about to talk about, like, a spelling bee, like a whole period in your life that I had no idea about. No, no, I'm talking about something you totally knew, my obsession with trashy soap operas. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. <laughs> uh, absolutely, that one I knew. <laughs> so they just brought back Beverly Hills 90210 as a meta-reality show about bringing back Beverly Hills 90210. And originally it was going to Ugh. include Luke Perry, who tragically passed away, but instead it's now going to include Shannon Doherty. And pretty much the two things you need to put in the same sentence to get me there are the Walsh siblings and Tori Spelling and I mean, Donna Martin graduates was literally chanted in several episodes of X's for podcast at one point so anyway this woman is playing Jason Priestley's character's wife Jason Priestley who's playing Jason Priestley playing Brandon it this is the best fucking thing I've ever seen so oh god it's Needlessly self-referential '90s meta in the form of this is like the the disaster artist of early '90s primetime soap operas. It's a satire of reality shows and remake culture using '90s soaps as a focus lens, where like everything that happens, they're kind of like make fun of being soapy, and then real things happen to them that are super soapy and none of them see how it's funny. It's actually like, it's sort of well-made satire. It like actually is kind of well-made satire, but it's, it has to be satire. If it's not satire, I'm deeply worried, but the people who make it actually made, um, one of my favorite pieces of satire ever made. It's a show called so notorious. It is Tori spelling, making fun of Tori spelling for 13 episodes, making fun of her relationship with her stepmother it is just nonstop pot shots at herself, and it is a very cleverly written show. It has a very young Zachary Quinto before he's famous, and it, it was very good. Anyway, they are writing this, and point of my story, this woman's on the screen, and I'm like, that beautiful woman, I just, she's really pretty, and I just can't figure out where I know her from, but she's really beautiful. But like, she's like, like distractingly pretty, but I have no idea why I know her. And Kevo is like, that's Vanessa Lachey. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. And he's like, that's Vanessa Lachey. And I was like, I don't know who that is. And he, like, thinks for a second and he goes, that's Vanessa Manillo, Nick Lachey's wife. And I went, oh, Vanessa Manillo, Nick Lachey's wife. And he's like, yes. And I'm like, yeah, I never could have ever gotten, because in my head, Vanessa Lachey, no, Nick Lachey's married to Jessica, no, okay, well, Nick Lachey's divorced from Jessica, but he's been with this woman, 
who was Jessica Simpson's best friend since that video came out. Now, what's more interesting than anything, I do believe mm. Jessica Simpson's A Public Affair is right in... Yeah, do we want to just do both? Do you want to kind of link them? Well, because they're both directly about the divorce. They are both... Right, I was actually going to ask that. That seems very obvious, but I wasn't 100% sure, and I certainly wasn't going to look it up. story that kind of plays into kind of like the end of the boy band and girl group era for us when the girl groups and this is so great it's so much fun to be able to dial back into this era of now with you again when the girl groups reigned supreme they each had something they were special because of none of them were special for being on the mickey mouse club several of them were so it kind of came down to not who had been a child star the childiest but what your kind of like niche discipline was and you had Hoku, who was Don Ho's daughter. Whatever that's worth, that's who she was. You had Billy, who would go on to become Billy Piper. She had sort of been like a proto-UK star when, like, steps were around and stuff. And a Boyzone, and she would go on to be Billy Piper, the Doctor's companion in Series 1 and 2 of Doctor Who. And you had then, you know, that, that solid, real generation with Brittany, Christina... Jessica and Mandy, and we can pretty much agree they were the four main girl group girls prior to Beyonce yeah. and that next generation. So, kind of your fan, uh, fantastic four of of that time in uh, direct comparison to how you had like ninety eight degrees, Backstreet, and Insync as like that triple threat of the the guy size. Yeah, 100%. and I kind of think there's a, a really strong parallel to be made between Britney Spears and the Backstreet Boys being the Honestly, maybe a little bit less directly talented, but still very capable, put on an incredible live show, very dynamic, kind of the number one seller first. Then you had NSYNC and Christina Aguilera, where the critical opinion was they're a little bit more talented. NSYNC was more musically gifted in terms of organized and arranged harmonies, and Christina Aguilera just had the better voice. Then you had 98 Degrees and Jessica Simpson. 98 Degrees did Motown-style barbershop quartet harmonies. 98 Degrees hung out with Motown. They were on Motown. They did songs with Stevie Wonder. These guys were the guys that your parents could listen to and not mind. And Jessica Simpson was chased. I'm also going to add another rung to this. I'm going to say that Mandy Moore and O-Town are sort of humorously comparable. Once again, Mandy Moore did have songs that were needlessly sexually exploitative of her 14 years of age. You know, Innocence is what I've got. It'll take true love to hit the spot. It's my innocence that makes you yearn for the perfect gift you can't return. Um, hit you with my love shot. Yeah. I'm not too young. Oh. Like, she had so much... The list, they, now, they're, now they're bolding our names on the list. Yeah, this is like, these, these were really sexual. And... That sexuality was also sort of reflected in the obscene sexuality of O-Town. Every six seconds, my body starts begging. Your sweet thing is wrecking me until you give me some. Ten times a minute, 600 times an hour, or another cold shower until you give me some. This was the second track on their debut album. So I'm going to kind of pair them off like that, right? Now, 
when Jessica Simpson I'll allow it. rose to her prominence, she rose on the strength of an unfaithful level asshole song. She rose on the strength of um, I Want to Love You Forever, which was just needlessly dramatic, very big vocals, very <laughs> kind of stuff. And she began dating Nick Lachey early on. Her virginity was made a centerpiece of her selling focus. She was the chaste one, the Christian one, the good one whose daddy was her manager. And she never missed church on a Sunday. And she, you know, her family was all in on the act together. They were all part of making her career work. And here she is with the member of a boy band who, frankly, 90 Degrees were always a little bit older and the guys in 98 Degrees look like for breakfast they had human growth hormone, for lunch they had steroids, and for dinner they had hormone memetics. This is just like a team of humongous monster men, except the base, who, if you're going to be the only non-bodybuilder in a group of bodybuilders, have the deepest voice. That gets you by. So, anyway, Jessica Simpson is with the one member of these boy bands who is the most undeniably manly, the most undeniably sexual and big, and here she is selling this narrative that she's chaste and a virgin and saving herself for marriage because God said to, and the guy that they're now playing her against, down to in her music, and her music videos, they had a single together called Where You Are, where he says how he wants to be where she is because they're, you know, separated, and it's kind of like he's dead, or she's dead, something, the video kind of plays that up, and <clears throat> you wind up with the, you know, she can't be your sex kitten, because she's, she's a virgin, but even if she was your sex kitten, she would be getting fucked by that not you. And I really have to wonder how much that was involved in their early breakup, or if at least that was the reason they decided for optics they should quote-unquote break up. So the couple gets together, and now MTV offers them a TV show, because MTV can't get Britney and Christina to agree to TV shows, but they can get lower down the rungs. And they get Jessica and Nick, and they get newlyweds, and it's a monster hit on the strength of how stupid she is and how angry he looks all the time. And it goes from casting him as the sexy, suave, unbelievably talented family man. Because don't forget, he's a family man too. His parents helped put them in talent shows and he performed with his brother who was a member of 98 Degrees alongside him. And you had these two people who were supposed to be doing this based on their talent and now he's not seeing this work on talent. He's seeing this work based on how stupid she's being. And it evidently, according to insiders, made him very angry that she's actually brilliant and she made herself stupid for this. And he It did... makes him look stupid by association in a way. And it made him look like the dick. It made him look like the guy with no sense of humor because she was always stupid and he always had to be the straight man. And frequently, from what I understand, the producers would run bits by her and not him to get his candid reaction. Yeah. And that seems super obvious. Up, yeah. And it wound up destroying their marriage. But what maybe a little bit more notably destroyed their marriage was that she... Okay, <clears throat> so when she decided to play up her country roots, it was still at a point in American culture where it was okay to maybe be a little bit into redneck comedy, like it was all right to be mostly not 
Southern, but a little bit Southern was okay. So if Jessica Simpson wanted to throw on her cowboy boots, that could still kind of play in New York, kinda. Yeah. But well, she was also in the um, she was well, Daisy in, Duke in the the Dukes of Hazard movie, right? So that's exactly what I'm getting at. So when she decided to give back into that kind of like Southern culture, that was something that was very separated from Nick Lachey. And the rumor is that she had very she had a very very public affair with Johnny Knoxville, is the rumor that like I mean okay. like making out on set, like physically all over each other in public, supposedly during this location filming, and she kept being like no 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 that's not what's happening but there was evidently no denying it at some point, and initially he is very quiet about it. And he doesn't want to make a big thing, and he's trying to be private. But she keeps upping the stakes by being seen with Johnny in public, regardless of the fact that they're not dating. And uh, she's letting the... She sort of let them, the media, play up kind of the Gaga Cooper of it back in the day, with the exception of the fact that Dukes of Hazard wound up bombing. So yeah, now, I was going to say it's... <laughs> Not only did it ruin her career, and that cover of These Boots Were Made For Walkin' is one of the worst fucking Ooh. things I have Ooh. ever heard. Oh, it's rancid. <laughs> and, I mean, she literally says, can I get a hand clap for the way I work my back? Can I get a suey? Can I get a yeehaw? It's just, it hurts. Yeah. So, he's the victim of this big political machination, this idea that media could overcome their love, their true sacred love, he waited for her. And she led him along and then made it all about her career. She forgot what it meant to be a wife and a woman and a lover and a friend. She just became this illusion of celebrity. And he's better than that. He can't hate her anymore. And, like, I'm real sorry, but he played this hand better than she did. She comes back at it. He does this big emotional song that, frankly, yeah, it's Nick Lachey, but, like, eh, it's, it's Nick Lachey Ryan Cabrera. It's that, yeah. it's that sensitive singer-songwriter. Like, it, it maybe leans a little bit more on the saccharine side, but, like, it maybe leans a little bit more like the Ryan Cabrera song co-written with Diane Warren. You know what I mean? Like... It just has that that maybe slightly better than average, but still very Christina Aguilera, I turn to you. So it's this song, I Can't Hate You Anymore, and she releases this cheap fucking sample and does a public affair. Oh, man, it's bad. Is it the best song in the world? You know what? No, it's that's the thing. It's not I, bad enough for the insult You're right, is. because I have in my notes... It's that it's tasteless. It is, I have in my notes, it is also the best song we've had of hers so far, but I put best in three quotation marks. Yeah, I, I don't I don't question anything you just said. It, and, and all I could hear in that song, is it is it a straight up sample like that fucking Jack and Diane song? Because it just, all I can hear in this song is Let's Groove by Earth, Wind, and Fire. That's all I hear. It's what it is. Okay. I, I needed to yeah. make sure I wasn't having a stroke or something. It's either that or it's, I can't remember if it was that or Madonna's Holiday, but it's one or the other. And because I kind of think that Let's Groove and Madonna's Holiday sometimes like fuse into one big song in my head. Yeah. And so I'm never sure if 
the sample is one or the other. But yeah, this whole thing was just a battle of the publicists. And frankly, he played it so much better than her. He he played it so much better than her. She had to spend time doing image rehab. And then she actually had a weird run of really bad luck following the poor reception on this part of her career. She would go on to be considered uh, Tony Romo's bad luck charm. Oh, that's right. And... Every time she was at one of his games, he would lose, yeah. and it became that she was destroying a national treasured pastime, and she struggled a bit, not just with pregnancy weight, but like everybody. She has, you know, different weights that feel right at different times in her life, and in this society, we do not permit women to vary their weight by anything more than a pound, and even then, they better be varying it, you know, on the closer end of that pound. And so anytime she gained weight, it was immediately, Jessica Simpson, now fat, very depressed, mm. is blimp, dies. And, like, the tablets would not stop making it sound like if Jessica Simpson ate one more ham sandwich, she was going to mama cast herself to death. And I think all of that put together really did lead to Jessica Simpson's massive transition from singer, actress, personality, to almost exclusively a fashion designer. She, at one point, was part of a Dolly Parton tribute and was performing, of all songs, Jolene, and forgot the words. Ooh, oh, man. Oh, man. Her, her and her sister should not perform live ever. And I can't even tell you exactly, like, how do you forget the words to Jolene? And that Kesha is a better Dolly Parton tribute than you when you think about where Jessica Simpson and where Kesha both started. You know, if you said to me, one of these two women, the one who played Daisy Duke or the one who recorded blah, blah, blah with 303 are going to be a truer performance of Dolly Parton someday... I would not have believed that it was Kesha. But, yeah, that's just my kind of two cents on this whole Jessica and Nick thing, because if either of them appears again, it is certainly not in a way that is appropriate to compare them. And that is definitely a thing. We are reaching a point in the now trajectory where I notice how much we're talking very differently than we used to. And it's not just because the frame of reference I have has changed or moved past a time where it was more applicable or early on, we talked a lot about the inner nuances of the kind of cultural makeup that focused around celebrity culture in the way that celebrity culture found itself in the nows, right? Now we're finding ourselves talking more about culture and how the now reacts to culture. And I think... We're entering a point where we start talking about the Black Eyed Peas and what the Black Eyed Peas do and did in a bigger picture than we necessarily talk about Josh Duhamel, Josh Dumel, I don't remember how to say his name, and Fergie being married. We're less concerned with their private life because their private life is nowhere near as interesting as the things going on backstage. And I think seeing that transition... I feel good saying, hey, you know what? We just did a really strong final statement on Nick and Jessica. And by extension, Brittany and Justin. And I feel like it's a good time to say goodbye again for the last time to the 
girl groups and the boy bands because this really was the end. This, in every way that mattered, Christina Aguilera is no longer child star Christina Aguilera. Britney Spears is no longer child star Britney Spears. These acts are now better known as Justin Timberlake than NSYNC, as Aaron Carter than Nick Carter's brother Aaron Carter. And I think where we're at in talking about it, it just felt right to kind of like unload everything about them. I was going to say, I wish my one regret about this episode will be that I didn't know that was coming because I would have gotten you extremely inebriated and just had that be like an entire episode of Nick's drunk history. (laughs) Or high history, whatever, because that would have been amazing. Here's what I'm forgetting. I'm leaving out the part where Britney was married for three. So, okay, keep this in. Britney Spears, when she got married for two days to that childhood friend, evidently like had like a psychological break about it, and she wouldn't stop crying. And to get her to stop crying, Lance Bass was like, I'm gay, okay? So are you done crying about your little marriage now? And Lance Bass recently revealed this. <laughs> Lance Bass came out to Britney Spears to get her to stop crying about her quickie wedding. That's incredible. Gays have been here for hags since the beginning. I'm putting this in the notebook. Um, Nico's inebriated history. This is a thing that is happening eventually on this show. Both of us. I mean, we could each do one. It'd be pretty fucking great. Oh, you know just as much as I do. We just, yeah, we just know different things, but you know just as much as I do. We're definitely, definitely doing that. Um, And there's a stark difference between the videos here, too. Nick Lachey is alone on a beach looking like the love child of Jeremy Renner and a young Randy Orton, just wistful and sad and alone. God, Randy Orton was so hot. Like, oh my God, he was like, Randy Orton's pecs were like, so like, like, huge. (laughs) Sorry, Randy Orton was so hot. Yeah, young Randy Orton was was beyond a snack. He was like in a moose-bouche. So there, and uh, yeah. He was like, he was like a chaser shot. You know what I mean? Um, and and then Jessica Simpson's video is like how Jessica got her groove back. Just like the fakest ass white girl bullshit. It starts the video with her and uh, I, had to, I had to get the full list of who it was. Because I, I recognized everybody, but I couldn't put a lot of the names to faces. I recognized Eva Longoria. And then it was Christina Applegate and Christina Milian. Uh, and also Ryan Seacrest shows up, and Andy Dick is in the video, and it's just like the most 2006-ass video. There's not as many flip flip, flip phones as in the JoJo uh, video, but it is still just like the fakest, ugh, like divorced girl going out, getting wild, fighting with the bouncer and being dragged out of the bar and puking on the street in Nashville. Like, it's it's so... They all agree that they're going to have an experience with Hiawaska, and instead they just decide to do some GHB in the bathroom. It's just so transparently fake, where even if Nick Lachey's, you know, wistful skipping stones on the beach is maybe a little fake or putting it up, it, like, it at least fits way more. And um, and yeah, the song, the song is just Earth, Wind, and Fire, and the production sucks shit. Like, her voice is nowhere on this. She barely has a voice on this song. It's wild how bad the production is. So part of the thing about Jessica Simpson songs is that they are um, 
by nature, irritating vocal performances. Like, and I, I'm not even attacking her. I'm really not. But, like, she has that sort of Leah Michelle, Adina Menzel, Jessica Simpson. I'm going to put her in her own category. You have to want a big performance. It's Christina Aguilera. You have to want a lot of voice all right up in your face. And this performance and her performance of Angels by Robbie Williams and even that terrible cover of Boots Were Made for Walkin'. They all feature this sort of restrained version of Jessica Simpson and that she's trying to sing like this. <sighs> don't proto-Lana Del Rey me because that's not mm. who you are. Even if I don't love who you are, you do it well, Jessica. You, Jessica! <laughs> you do it really well. And... I now need Nick Lachey as the purple man. Jessica! And, um... Oh my god, that makes Ashley Simpson Patsy. Oh my god, it's just Patsy. So... I can't wait um, till we get to the other Simpson. She's gotta be coming around soon, right? Oh yeah, no, she's... I think she actually exists already. Like... Because after Newlyweds was cancelled, she got their slot. Yeah, well, we haven't had pieces of me yet, and that's the first single, I think, so... That's gotta be soonish. That's one of those songs where, like, it's like no one's fault even that it's funnier as pieces of meat, but... It is also an acoustic drum machine song. Yeah, well, and it works, because that one, she's interesting, because we start to see a weird, like, recombinance, and, like, I don't know, it's some sort of, like, weird Geiger splice together and divide back out. She kind of takes drum machine and acoustic lick but what she gets back out of it is a little bit more all american rejects and a little bit less neo she's yeah. on the ryan cabrera side of things they were a couple at one point and she even when she gets um boyfriend and she gets a little bit more dancey she's again still much more on that like panic at the disco side of dancey than she is, say, like, I'm never going to mistake an Ashley Simpson song for a Fergie song, but I may mistake an Ashley Simpson song for a song by uh, Shakira Knockoff. While we're on the topic of uh, Jessica Simpson and, um, uh, what the fuck was her sister's name? Ashley uh, Simpson. Ashley Simpson, thank you. Uh, and uh, I do want to say that the, <laughs> we, just, we just took a quick break uh, you know, tearing down the fourth wall here. Uh, we took a quick break, and I, I had slowed down the public affair video to 0.7 to try to get a screen cap of her deep-throating the ice cream cone, <laughs> which is going to be the picture for this episode. And you know what? The song sounds a lot better at three-quarter speed. It's like a pretty good, moderate BPM song than it is this fucking Earth, Wind, and Fire cover. Uh, Where should go? Oh, it's my not that bad. It's, it's not people who put uh, chipmunk songs at normal speed. It's not. It's not that. <laughs> so the stuff about uh, talking about how like her father threw them into the spotlight for Jesus reminded me that there's an amazing Arcade Fire song that is about that, and it came out in 2007. So it's probably literally about like The Simpsons. Um, it's called Antichrist Television Blues, and it's got lyrics like. Um, uh, you know that I'm a God-fearing man, but I just gotta know if it's part of your plan to seat my daughters there by your right hand. I know that you'll do what's right, Lord, for they are the lanterns and you are the light. 
Um, and it's just about like, uh, here's a uh, little girl. You're old enough to understand that you'll always be a stranger in a strange, strange land. The men are going to come while you're fast asleep. So you better just stay close and hold on to me. If my little mockingbird don't sing, then daddy won't buy her no diamond ring. It's a, uh, yeah, I, just, I was just reminded how good that song and how good Neon Bible is as an album. You know, it's an uh, important so are, are we... statement. Yeah, um, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. I, I, think, um, I think now we're kind of seeing the, the aftermaths of the, uh, the parental... It's actually been like this for a lot of years with, with young kids. Macaulay Culkin went through it. Just like the, the parents being their managers and just fucking up their lives once they got close to adulthood or once they fell out of the spotlight. Yeah. It's a business. Yeah, it, uh, people are shit. <laughs> um, okay. okay, so we, uh, yeah, it's, so t- to do those together, we skipped over Teddy Geiger with These Walls. I've got no song was my surprise on this now i was nervous because this song starts with like a little piano riff that's straight like you had a bad day you're from a her and then a real song kicks in and it's like the midpoint between john mayer and panic at the disco and it's it's kind of decent it's, it's it's pretty good I, this song surprised me i like it so i think teddy geiger was only not successful because when she came out there was a c of artists who at the time looked just like her. And unfortunately, I think when you are one of too many, sure, you can get in and you can, you know, be a girl group or be a boy band, but it's really hard to be in sync, especially when there's already 85 other people trying to be in sync. And I think no one knew how to market Teddy. And it's actually a great record. This whole record is terrific. But uh, there were several of them that came out all at the same time and just kind of turned into one big mushy pile of records. Yeah, I, uh, I honestly don't have a ton to say about the song other than it was a real surprise. And I would actually recommend going and checking out Teddy Geiger's These Walls. It's a fun song that is a little bit different than anything that is going on at this time, but like also kind of the same as everything that's going on at this time. It's taking a couple of disparate parts from a lot of ideas of songs that are popular and putting them together into something that's like kind of new looking back maybe not so much but at the time it probably sounded a little bit different while still being recognizable and um it works for me i, th- I thought it was uh, a nice change of pace from the stuff that we just did and um i learned that teddy geiger is still writing songs for like one direction and stuff so she's doing all right and that's good because there's a lot of clearly a lot of potential that would have gone to waste if she had to stop writing songs All right, next we've got OK Go with Here It Goes Again, everyone's favorite song when they're learning how to play expert rock band.
So we need to talk about OKGo. Uh, I did some research here. This is the video that you may remember as being a, a viral hit before viral hits were really a thing. This is the treadmill video that's all choreographed and low budget and shit. Yeah, I mean, the main thing I remember about this song is, Here it goes! Here it goes! Here it goes! So, th this, yeah, that's really all there is to know. The, the, the riff may be a little bit, but it's not that special of a song. But it made it so that OK Go never really had to worry again, because <sighs> we've talked about what selling out is on this show and what selling out is not and how... Oh, as we've gotten older, we're like, fuck it, make make your money, sell the fuck out. And selling out, when I was a kid, when I was an idiot 14-year-old, I thought selling out was uh, Blink-182 starting to have their videos shown on MTV. I thought that was selling out. I thought that was that was a, uh, an affront, a crime. You can't you can't play stadiums. I saw you at a, a tiny venue. You're not allowed. You're, you're the band you I like. You have to play stadiums. Yeah, you're not allowed to do that. You know, that's bullshit. We know that now. We're, we're old. We're adults. We get how the world works a little bit more. But, it's not selling out if it's cashing in. Yeah, but when ev almost every OK Go video after this was actually corporate sponsored and just a four minute long OK Go song that was a commercial for either a car company or something else that's even dumber. Um, so I'm, camera. I'm gonna go through this list actually uh, and all of their videos are kind of uh, like they, they are the group that is uh, like diminishing returns in a nutshell because they did this and then they kept doing it and no one really gave a shit so let's see here I saw uh, the video for this too shall pass which is a Rube Goldberg machine which just FYI um, the bravery video did 10,000 fucking times better uh, sponsored by State Farm Insurance um, wow, that's need, a that's... song called "Needing Getting," sponsored by Chevrolet. Here it goes again itself. Actually, it was apparently sponsored by Honda. Uh, I won't let you down. Also sponsored by Honda. Obsession, corporate sponsor, Double A Paper, whatever the fuck that is. Um, the One Moment, corporate sponsor, Morton Salt. It's it's just getting like sadder and sadder. Uh, corporate? Wait, Morton Salt? Yes. Yeah, apparently, they also did the theme song for the new Muppet Show that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, so yeah, I guess it was actually a really counts. good show. And uh, yeah, so these guys think that they were like. This reminds me of like corporations slapping a rainbow on their Twitter account and tweeting like. And we're gay. Yeah, the dumbest fucking bullshit because they know that uh, like that's a demographic that buys shit now. So let's pander, um, and it's just fucking embarrassing. We're okay, go, and we love salt. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, maybe a little bit ahead of their time on virality and uh, being a meme, but uh, unfortunately they just kind of became something that no one really gave a shit about. An indie band stuck behind a suit and tie, and um, there's a cynical nature to it after the fun and kind of carefree nature of this song and video that... You know, it's it's not something that really anybody wanted anything to do with because who the fuck has heard of OK Go since then? And, like, I completely get what you're saying because viral culture as we understand it is very different than viral culture ever was when we were, like, kids. But they're not the first people who came up with an easy-to-talk-about water no, cooler music no, video. No. And Fatboy Slim like, with walking. I can't even... I didn't think... 
I don't think you were saying they were, but like, you know, for even one moment, if they ever try to say to their kids, like, you know, oh, well, you kids don't know, we were doing this viral stuff before viral was even popular, and I want to be like, yeah, Elvis was swinging his hips in a jailhouse well before that. You know what I mean? Like, I really get that that they probably, there are probably people who draw those parallels. One of the things that drives me nuts is when people don't realize how old something is or how old a term is, and they try to tell me, oh, no, that came into popularity or prominence here or there. And it's like, well, maybe that was the second popularity of it. Not everything is squeeze. Some things were popular back then. Yeah. See our last three episodes for a discussion on uh, Squeezes is Tempted, I believe was the song that we specifically were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, see yeah, the last actual round again Prime episodes, we've brought yeah. them up a million times. It's probably a drinking game thing now. Uh, but that song whips ass. It, it is. really is, because it, it's a good point, because that song is, like, so ubiquitous, and nobody listened to it at the time. Yeah, and, and hey, get your money, OK Go. But it's just, there's something a little cynical about making your choreographed video look like it was done by this little no-name indie band for... 15 bucks on a camcorder, but actually was sponsored by a fucking car company. That, to me, is the nefarious side of selling out. That is... Um, and sure, get your money. Like, good for you. In that position, I don't know if I wouldn't do it in this fucking hell world that we live in. But there is something to that that is a little... There's the duplicit... The duplicitivity? Duplicitiveness? Duplicitiveness? The... That... that this, the duplicity? Duplicitiveness? Yeah. The, the, the obfuscating... Of, of the corporate nature when the the outward show is like young, fun, hip, indie, DIY. That's a little shitty to me. Well, and I want to jump in on something you're saying because I actually used to get OK Go confused with another group. I used to think that OK Go did Hey There Delilah. And I think the Plain White Tees are an example of a band that actually kind of – in a weird way, did the same thing. Plain White Tees, I don't think were necessarily known. I mean, they weren't well-known, well-known, but I don't think Plain White Tees, every song sounded like Hey There, Delilah, until after Hey There, Delilah. Ah, uh, the old, um... The, the Goo Goo Dolls. The old Stank conundrum, where every song after The Reason has to be The Reason, when their early songs were, like, actual rock songs. Yeah, like, um... Oh, God, who did I just say? Zoloft Brain Man. Goo Dolls. Goo Goo Dolls, the only song on that fucking A Boy Named Goo album that wasn't like a fucking rock metal song was Goddamn Name. And that was the single the label went with. And then after that, that became Johnny Resnick's sound. Because frankly, it's what he was best at. But it's just one of those things where like, that was not your sound until you had a hit in that sound. And now suddenly there's no necess- there's no need for artistic integrity when you're making money and i don't mean that cynically i mean that sort of legitimately artistic integrity is for people who aren't making money artistic integrity is for people who aren't responsible for the financial well-being of a staff yeah. of 700 when you are at madonna levels madonna doesn't really get to have artistic integrity when madonna albums aren't hits madonna costs too much money for the label to want to take another chance. When Mariah Carey started to struggle in her career, her fucking label dropped her. I mean, she held like a dozen world records and her label dropped her. And even then, she was recently relabeled. And she's still Mariah Carey right now. 
Janet Jackson finds herself on her own label right now. Tori Amos is on her own label. And these are all names that, sure, I am synonymous mm-hmm. with, but, you know, I can use those names commandingly because I know everything about those names. I'm sure that we can find examples of other people that you would think are still huge yeah. names that just aren't anymore. And it becomes that question of how long do you have to play art? How long do you have to play at artistry? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not even sure if I'm making one point or seven, but yeah, there is definitely a question. No, no, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of ways we can go from this. It, it's it's an interesting. I want to be clear. I agree with you on the artistic integrity thing. Artistic integrity is something that people who aren't successful or aren't making money talk about a lot because it's a smokescreen. But at the same time, the thing that gets me about OK Go and being all their videos being corporate sponsored, but none of them really saying it, is that kind of bait and switch thing. That's what bugs me a little bit. It's the presentation. Again, it's kind of like what I said. Uh, you know, having having a pride float sponsored by fucking YouTube who keeps Ben Shapiro up all the time and, and doesn't pull his shit down because he gets a lot of views even though it violates terms of service every time he fucking speaks. Um, it, it's it's kind of like that. It, it's it's the 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 darkness behind the scenes of the fun that bugs me a little bit. Um, and yeah, you know, not not every artist can be Carly Rae Jepsen who you know drink uh, who had a song that made it so that she never has to work again in her fucking life and decided that she was just going to make music that she loved. With that, damn, damn the radio. Uh, exactly. And so, like, I think one of the things, though, that, and it's it's so hard to even quantify and qualify because, like, I want to never stop trying to find ways to express this because you're really right. It's it's not even just that it's a smokescreen for me. It's that. Okay, uh, 21 Savage, right? That's the guy that it just came out was actually not at all from, you know, the gritty streets. It's actually just, like, from the UK and got deported, right? I don't know. Go on and talk and I'll just Google this. We talk about the argument of authenticity and how authenticity is so necessary to the survival of whole genres of music and that Ja Rule basically stopped being the number one guy, what he was doing, making that very uh, white friendly sort of like pop rap because it came out that he was super upper crust Mm. and very wealthy and grew up with a lot of entitlement. So he never really struggled the way he claimed he struggled. One of the things that made 50 Cent so big that first record was, yo, that fucking bodybuilder got shot in the face. He has the muscles to prove that he's fucking lived that kind of life because people assume you're big, you must be, you know, fucking tough. They don't realize that the bigger you are, the more likely it is that you've never seen a fight and you live in the gym. And, you know, it's a very delicate balance of, you know, the following macros. But it that whole question of authenticity ruling what we do, I think this really is one of those points in pop music where it started to get blurred again. You are right. That is 21 Savage who was deported by ICE. Yeah. And, you know, and it, it kind of... I don't think, I don't see how his career can recover. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Apparently he just put out a song about it. Uh, I, I don't know. I, didn't, I just learned about this now. Somehow I missed this. Um... Yeah, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say here is maybe I'm using the term selling out or artistic integrity and authenticity, and that's maybe not correct just because we're talking about art. Maybe what I should be saying is just don't fucking insult my intelligence. Like, respect 
oh, mean for enough sure. to not lie to my face. And maybe that's really where I'm just getting mad is 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 that aspect. Is like you're just a commercial. You're not a music video, but you're masquerading as one to fool people and just, you know, don't insult my intelligence. And that seems to be what OK Go is doing here. It's a fun video. You're right. They're not the first to do it. You can just go back a couple of years and have that Fatboy Slim Christopher Walken video. That's a blast. Um, but it's, you know, there's just something about it that makes me a little salty when it comes to OK Go. And it's I think that they're lying to my face. I really, I really see where you're coming from, especially because I think they're probably still trying to get by on their indie credibility. Right. Oh, you know, we're still just the same band. We're still just the same band, even if someone's making our videos with us. You know, we're still the same guys. It's the other reason that I couldn't fucking stand Pomplamoose when they were a thing, because not only did every cover they do do that horrible, like, whitening, whitewashing of, like, fun, good funk songs, like their cover of James Brown's I Got You is... Um, a good enough reason for us to all die as a species of global warming than almost anything else. Uh, but also, like, that drummer, that fucking Huggy Beardo in that band, is the guy who fucking runs Patreon. He was always kind of loaded, but they came off as this, like, upstart YouTube quirky hipster band. And it's just like, don't fucking insult my intelligence. The Taylor Swift thing. her She had family in the industry. I, I guess... I guess it's just I don't want to be lied to to my face. I, I find that insulting, and I'm not going to enjoy your music when it comes out that you were bullshitting me this whole time. Same with fucking actors or anybody, anything in life. When you insult my intelligence, I'm, I'm done. I don't fucking wash my hands of it. I, I can't accept that. And I think that's really – I like that we're, you know, we're qualifying it. One of the things that I never appreciate is when actors try and talk about how – they really, really struggle to get in, but you know, you're flat out from a wealthy family, or you're, you know, whether or not Nico Costa was legitimately talented and released some killer singles with everybody got that everybody got their something. Her godfather was Frank Sinatra. Yeah. At the end of the day, my godfather is not Frank Sinatra. What did it get her? Oh, I don't know what it got her, but not having Frank Sinatra as a godfather certainly did not give me an advantage with anybody that, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, wait, do you want to just keep going and this can just be four episodes? Because we're already at an hour and a half. Uh, hinders lips of an angel. This fucking Aerosmith, Aerosmith ass bullshit song. This sucks. Oh, well, my girl's in the next room. Sometimes I wish she was you. I guess we... And like, I, I, I actually, I'm going to be honest with you, like, I didn't listen to this song on purpose, because if I'm not mistaken, this is the song I hate more than life. I want to double yes. check with you, if you could look it up. If I'm not mistaken, it's like, uh, I really need to hear yeah. your voice saying my name, <laughs> it sounds so sweet, coming from the lips of an angel, I wish you were made of meat, let it die, I live in a pigsty. I want to come in your eye. You make it hard to be faithful with the lips of Chris Angel. So I think I number one hate this song because it's, it's oh like... Oh my god, he, the lead singer looks like Mind Freak too. 
That's amazing! It's sort of like this song is kind of like what happens if you take Unfaithful by Rihanna and put it through the same blender as Pieces of Me by Ashley Simpson. You sort of get this, and I don't want it there. But you're adding, you gotta add the underbite singing to the song. And, uh, yeah, it's fucking sucks. Yeah. Oh, I gotta, I'm cheating on my girlfriend. I'm living my her, her, my her. Fuck that. Fuck Nickelback. We're skipping that song. I'm gonna give you lots of syphilis. Syphilis, syphilis. So. Uh, yeah, so if Nickelback's on here, you can keep it. Uh, and then the last... Hi, my name is Nicholas Syphilis, and I'm here to disease your women. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, Kenny Chesney's Summertime. Oh my god, I need to change my Instagram to Nicholas Syphilis. Okay. It's so good. What was it, Summertime? Yeah, this song, uh, you know, I try to give all the country stuff a shot. This is the first pop country person we've had on here who wasn't, like, they, they drained the Keith Urban well dry. And now we've got Kenny Chesney, this Summertime song. It's, look, it, it is, it does what it sets out to do. It is a carefully crafted song to be a backyard barbecue summertime song, but like, only if your idea of a backyard barbecue comes from a Coors Light commercial. And so I am extremely not into it. It reminds me a lot of that amazing Onion headline that is like, um, study links drinking while pregnant to being at Kid Rock concert. <laughs> it's just, it's just a thing that's not, it's just a thing that's not for me. And I don't think it's very good either. It's a little, little pandery, not as pandery as a lot of this genre that you would get, but it is carefully uh, crafted to be a song of the summer you know, drinking uh, fucking shitty beer in the backyard, grilling mediocre hamburgers that you're pressing down every time on. It's just sad. I want to interact with that because, like, I don't listen. To, I, I'm going to be honest. I have not always been the greatest podcaster person. And I have sometimes been like, okay, I heard 20 seconds of this country song. Next. I did actually watch this video. Now, let me be clear with you. I watched it on incognito mode because (laughs) I don't want this in my browser history. I remember thinking, because I watched this when I watched the other half. We actually recorded the two halves not right next to each other. So it's not as fresh in my mind. So, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you how it felt to me because when you said that it felt like people who think summertime is a Bud Light commercial or a Coors Light commercial, what I remember getting from it was, um, The best way I can explain it is, like, I need you to think of your haggiest friend, right? Okay. And, like, you need to get, like, the haggiest girl you know. I mean, this bitch eats haggis, okay? And she's getting married, okay? And she's like, guys, I want to go to drag bingo as part of my engagement party. But she's actually, like, not all that comfortable with drag queens, So she decides to do something really similar. Instead, she and her friends go play bingo at her Latino gay friend's aunt's house while they all wear whorish makeup and they call bingo while drinking. Uh, That's gay culture? The way this music video reminds me of a good time in summer. Okay, sure. Uh, it's yeah. that really I'm looking at it through a horrifying nightmare window yeah. and like everything looks like a clown that's trying to rape something Yeah, okay. and 
nothing feels nice. It's that very, what are you, but this, this can't be that thing, is it? Uh, one time somebody took a look at, I'm going to, I, um, <clears throat> I was working with someone on some music and they were working on, they were like, so here's my idea. This is how the song would go. And they sent it to me and I played it for someone because I actually do think it's really important to get opinions from people. And I'm a weird person. I send people just like random links all the time. So people don't always ask me what I've sent them. They just click it, which is very polite, frankly. Hmm. And I remember playing it for somebody and the response was, what is that supposed to sound like? And I was like, well, like, what do you mean? And they're like, no, but what is that supposed to sound like? Well, it's like a song. It's like, just what do you think? And they're like, I didn't recognize it as music. Mm-hmm. So there's that. I don't recognize this as fun, dot, 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 good time, dot, 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 happy, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, just, it's a song of the summer. If that summer involves being at uh, a barbecue where all of the meat is well done and there's a girl in an American flag bikini playing beer pong. Oh, the things people do to desecrate the American flag. Uh, but don't you dare fucking New York flood Anthony, son of a bitch. Um, so I want to talk about, while we're on country music, and we are a little bit over time, but there's, I'm sure some some chopping uh, will be done. Uh, but, so I, I want, we're on country music, I want to talk about this a little bit. Um... A little song called Old Town Road that you may or may not have heard uh, has just become the longest reigning number one song of all time. Uh, as of when it happened, it hit either 17 or 18 weeks. Now it might be up to 20. I don't I don't know for sure. I've not been following it religiously. Um, but it beat out Despacito by one Justin Bieber and the Mariah Carey and Boys to Men's song One Sweet Day, One Fine Day, One Sweet Day. Yep. Okay. One Sweet Day. Um, so it has beaten out those while also keeping three Taylor Swift songs out of the number one spot. Um, and I gotta say, thank you. I don't love Old Town Road. I think it's good. Um, and I think we've talked about this before that being number one in the year of our Lord 2019 is way less impressive because they're counting, you know, streaming and they're counting views and like albums themselves are selling like a tenth of what they sold in even 1999. Um, but still, 18 weeks, really cool. Really impressive, and I love that the whole thing kind of got kickstarted by this song coming out as a little bit of a gag, and it blowing up the charts, and it being number one on the country music chart, and then Billboard saying, uh, no, we're going to pull this from the country music charts. I mean, I can't, hmm, I can't imagine why they would pull a song off the country music charts when it was at number one. There's something not quite white about that, but I can't put my finger on it. Um, but then they put out the remake with Billy Ray Cyrus, and he's put out a million remakes. This episode is actually a remake of Old Town Road. And uh, it's just been blowing the fuck up, and living well is the best revenge. And I think it's really cool to see what this song has done. And uh, yeah, I think it's just as a pop podcast, it's worth mentioning that there's a, a new king and it wears a cowboy hat. And you know what? I think it's necessary. I think... People sometimes say to me, like, my dad will literally say to me that that can't be true, that thing that you're saying, that's too horrible, and I refuse to believe we live in a world that allows that to happen. And I'm like, no, dad, that is a statistical truth. And he's like, (laughs) and the very idea that in the year of our Lord Robert Downey Jr., 2019, that they could pull somebody off the... 
right? That they could pull somebody off of the Billboard charts for their melanin volume leaves me stammered because it really does come down to, doesn't it just feel like they didn't want a black person to have the all-time highest-running country single? Oh, they wouldn't say that out loud, but the dog whistles were loud enough for everybody to hear. Well, and like I mean, like it's just even specific because, like, at the end of the day, the country charts didn't own the longest-running number one single. Period. So it's almost like if it's unseated, if it if it's not like a country song, country can always claim ah, but we have this number one. That's the number one of country of all time, and this took that from them in a yeah. way where they were going to have to openly admit this is the number one white song by a country artist, and. I find myself challenged by it because there's two sides that are really necessary to talk about when we're talking about this. Side number one is, of course, starting with everything we need to start with at the beginning of this conversation and moving forward. We need to take a look at All for One, and we need to take a look at Honky Tonk Badonkadonk. Those are sort of the two things that really need to come up in terms of this conversation. As little as we want to talk about them. I don't want to go back. Number one. We have to. We have to go back. Look. Uh, Marty, we gotta go back to Honky Tonk Padonkadonk. Hurley didn't hoard all that food for nothing, Jack, and <laughs> Terry O'Quinn has a wheelchair, and the wasp was a con woman, or fucked her... She fucked... Did she, did she fuck Sawyer's dad? Did everybody fuck Sawyer's dad? I don't remember. No, she Maybe was Maybe they a, were flashed She killed down. her dad or something. Right, and that's was a lifetime ago. Her... Yeah, well, for them especially. So, <laughs> here's here's where it comes down to. There was a song that was a popular song on the country charts called I Swear, and that was in 1994 or so, and the song was very popular, and they wanted to see that song work on the pop charts, but they knew that at that point, country and pop were still not a crossover market, but R&B was an emerging crossover market with pop, and they created an R&B group to record this song, I Swear. This song, I Swear, was recorded and hit number one on the general chart by All For One after being a number one country single by another band. Hmm. Obviously, All For One was a little R&B-ish and quite black and then there's another single by all for one which was another country cover and it actually turns out that all for one would go on to have like six or seven charting songs in the u.s five of which were covers of country songs huh. okay cool I didn't know. and it's because they were and they actually won like grammys and they had a notable cover of i can love you like that and hey you know what how am I skipping it? Let's talk about the other Dolly Parton cover that changed the world. I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. Yeah. There is a long history of a shared relationship between country music and R&B, and I think it's not hard to see why. I think Timber with Pipple, there's you know a strong relationship there where Kesha does lend some genuine country relevance to that song. And... We see Honky Tonk Padonkadonk, where it's okay for country music Come to appropriate on. from black culture. And I know it's painful, but we're talking about a genre of music that is more than happy to make money 
off of black culture, but doesn't want to allow black people into their culture. And I feel like it's deserving of a call-out. And I don't necessarily think that... Like, one of the dumbest things in the entire world is right now Henry Cavill is saying everybody should boycott Marvel because Ike Perlmutter, a huge Trump supporter, is the, like, chairman of Marvel or president of Marvel. But for some reason, he's not saying that about any of the many other things that just don't happen to be part of franchises that he's a member of a rival franchise of. I think that's interesting. Yeah, spoilers... Every rich person votes conservative. No ethical consumption under capitalism, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Don't let it drive you insane. Pretty much. So, <clears throat> anyway. And I think... I'm not saying that I don't think boycotts work, because I think boycotts work. But if you stop going to Marvel movies to make Henry Cavill, you know, proud of you or whatever, Ike Pullmutter is not going to see a bad thing happen to him. But they're going to make fewer Marvel movies, and then they're going to make fewer Marvel comic books, and then comic writers are going to get laid off left and right. And now suddenly, because Henry Cavill said you shouldn't give your money to a guy that supports Trump way up the food chain, nobody's getting work in the inking department. And I, I just think there's, like, responsible boycotts and there's irresponsible boycotts, right? And you literally cannot boycott country music hard enough to make a difference because the the record label will literally just measure the metric another way you will never get smarter than the algorithm you are not better than a million oh god what are they called oh those special kinds of accountants Actuaries. You are not better than a million actuaries entering numbers in a hypercomputer that's able to spit out probability. You are not going to outsmart the way these people make failures look like money. Right? One of the greatest mysteries of all time is that the sixth Harry Potter movie lost money. You should look up how much money it made and you should look... The producer's scheme. Yeah. You should look up how much money it cost and look how much money it made, and yet it still lost money somehow because this was a write-off and that's a write-off and this is a write-off and that's a write-off and this is a write-off and that's a write-off. And you can make that movie have lost money when it made a billion fucking dollars. And they can make money disappear. They can make money appear. And if you stop buying country albums – Country is going to start talking about this other way they're measuring the metric now. Now they're counting streams on internet radio stations and partial streams and six partial streams are – okay. But they're never going to pretend that something isn't selling if there's no upshot to hiding it. So the country market is going to be like, no, we don't want anything to do with this. This isn't our problem anymore. But the label is never going to kill a number one hit like that. Ever. So the best way to beat country music's inherent racism is to be bigger than country music. Don't boycott it, right? Because there's two ways to win. There's either be so far under the radar no one knows you've gotten inside, or there's kick the fucking radar over. And They decided to kick the radar over, and I just think it's a really great example of instead of selectively using your money to withhold financial benefit from a company, 
this is an example of all the fuck in overpowering it. I actually sometimes wonder, and I mean this with all honesty, I sometimes wonder if some of Adele's success is everybody wanted to root for the fat chick. Mm-hmm. The fat hurt girl? Uh, I, don't, I don't think the fact that she's got a killer voice hurts. But I can think of 30 artists that have killer voices. But I can't think of 30 artists who always cry in every song about how they're hurt and about how they come from nothing. And she sold a package. She doesn't record happy, peppy tracks. And I'm sure if Adele wanted to write a happy song, she could. I mean, and she does. Like, I mean, listen to Send My Love to Your New Lover. She can churn out. No one's rooting for fucking Megan Trainer. They were when she started. They really were when she started. Yeah, well... She became insufferable pretty fucking quick. She did. I, I don't disagree. Uh, no, I mean, hey, um, look, I guess I guess I, I'm glad Old Town Road exists. Uh, when it first came out and they were like, Billy Ray Cyrus is on this remix, I assumed... I didn't watch it for like two or three weeks, and also I did check it. It's now in the 18th week at number one. So we're, we're far scumped in this. We're hitting the end zone and we're still running. Um, I just, in my mind, I still remember that LL Cool J and Kenny Chesney song, Accidental Racist, which is... The best song ever written that is not off of Corey Feldman's Angelic to the Core double album. Um, uh, with, with lyrics like, um, uh, if you don't judge my do-rag, I won't judge your red flag. If you don't judge my gold chains, I'll forget the iron chains. R.I.P. Robert E. Lee, but I've got to thank Abraham Lincoln for freeing me. <laughs> so, so No! I'm, I'm, I'm just so glad it's not that. I... All right, you can find me on Instagram at pregnant and on boopsie at gravestone. I were, I what? I uh, I'm Chris Podcast and I'm going to jail for giving Nico a stroke on air. You really? I, they got a, an actual black person as part of that? Yeah, that's that's uh, ladies love cool James. No. Ladies, ladies, something has happened. Uh, during the filming of um, Deep Blue Sea, LL Cool J was replaced with a Transformer shark. And <laughs> number one, that is why his muscles are so big and beautiful. And number two, it's why he doesn't blink. So, uh, wow, that's that's horrible. I got to oh, be honest, though. Oh, boy. It was so great coming back to a now with you, though. I've had such Yo. a good time just now. Absolutely. I loved Carly Ray. I loved our Carly time. Our Carly time was our time. And we would fight anyone who would dare try and take it from us. But at the same time, I was really excited to get back to all this crazy pop discourse because this has been a lot of good discourse. This episode was like jam-packed with ideas that needed to be discussed even if the actual songs themselves were like you know drill bits in the dick yeah it's we're about to hit two hours raw this is like this is like an old school episode i mean it's not the five hours raw that the very first now and again was but you know we're we're back on our bullshit and it's it kind of feels good yeah i'm about it so nico if you're recovered from your stroke where can people find you so you guys can find me all over this amazing network. You guys can find me on 
HTML, where we have discussed the full Marvel Cinematic Universe as well as the Marvel Foxverse, and now we're turning our eye to space to give unique vision to the Alien franchise. It's my favorite franchise of all time, and you've never heard anything until you've heard me like cry about how much I love Ripley. So, I mean, you've probably heard similar because I know Chris has let some Mariah stuff get through, but psh, good stuff. You can also check me out on X's for Podcasts, where we have two separate feeds running for the next 12 weeks. We have the standard feed, where we take a look at classic X-Men eras, like right now when we are in the 1980s Massive Mutant Expansion, as Uncanny X-Men splits itself into many different titles, seeing Solo's spin-off like Dazzler and Wolverine, as well as new team books like New Mutants and X-Factor. We just covered the Contest of Champions, which saw Captain Britain make his second stateside appearance following his brief appearance in Marvel Team-Up. It's been a really good time, and we're also covering the Dawn of X relaunch over at X-Men, running through House of X and Powers of Ten, both by Jonathan Hickman. We have assembled the best, brightest, and most excited members of Uncanny X's for podcasts to be a part of the Powerhouse team and keep that story train running. We are taking a look at it from every angle, covering the secret code in the production pages using the secret language Hickman has had Krakoa give to the mutants to create culture. We are tracking the different insignias that change the narrative on the powers of 10 years. We are very, 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 very following this. It's crazy how into this we are right now. You can also find me over on Facebook, Making Music, facebook.com slash action duo. I have a pretty big musical project coming up later this year. More about that later. If you want to check out my comic, that's Kid Riot over at kidriotcomics.com. You can follow us throughout the summer at events like FlameCon in Manhattan or NYCC at the Jacob Javits in October, where we will be showing yet again. I'll also be speaking at FIT's diversity convention about being a Latino in comics. It's very exciting. And, uh... Yeah, that's got to be all I'm doing for now. No, there's more appearances, but I'll get to them next time. I'm Chris Podcasts, uh, at Chris Podcasts on Twitter. I'm pretty much just here. Oh, wait, no, I'm Nico Action on Instagram, oh, yeah. N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Do you want to <laughs> plug your LinkedIn while you're at it? <laughs> no, I'm out of things. I'm out of things. Oh, wait, no, the HTML page on Facebook. Now I'm out of things. Uh, I will be on. I don't know if it's been announced yet or if it's dropping. It hasn't dropped yet. It will probably be dropping within a day or two of this episode dropping. Uh, I am on an episode of High School Slumber Party talking about the movie The Myth of the American Sleepover, which is a high school party for a, people who are adults but grew up watching high school movies. Uh, it's great. It's uh, meta. It is not really subversive, but it takes all the tropes of all of those John Hughes and Can't Hardly Wait's that you remember growing up and uh, kind of synthesizes them into something that allows for that perspective as a grown-ass man. And it's a great movie by the same director who would go on to do It Follows, which is also a great movie. Uh, so go check that out over at High School Summer Party at Cage Club and check out all of the good Cage Club. <sighs> uh, it's, there's so much. There's so much Cage Club. You could you could start now and never stop. For real. And... Uh... I know that our brand is expanding a little bit. You might find me uh, being a little fast and a little furious. I actually, excitingly enough, just composed the theme for the Fast and the Furious show that our incredible Joey runs. He said, hey, I want a piece of score that sounds like, well, <clears throat> hey, I uh, want a piece of score that sounds like 
the BT score from the first Fast and the Furious movie. Um, here's a selection that I want it to sound like. And I listened and I said, it's BT, so obviously. And I worked on it for a couple days and sent it over to him and he was like, here are the changes I'd like. And I made them and then he was like, this is terrific. And uh, I just love what good buddies we've become. He has a recurring segment on X's for podcasts now where he reads comic books. So, you know, I'm doing something right. Okay, I'm done. I'm a little mad he didn't use me uh, singing Dracula from the Watcher episode of Keanu Club, but that's fine. I'm glad that you got to compose some music that I'm sure is just as good as that. Uh, no, nothing would be as good as that or your Love Shack impression. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I was gonna. I'm not doing it. Uh, I, I'm Chris Podcast. That's Nico Vasillo. Uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye.